Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on Weekly Standard is literary editor Phil Terzian, and uh, you've done it again. You've taken a big story that's overwhelming our news cycle, and you've come up with three books to help the average dope like me understand what's going on. And I have to say, I was thrilled to see that H.L. Mencken is on the list because I'm a huge Menkenophile. My oldest son's name is Mencken. And uh, I, I just want to read a quote from his writing about the Calvin Coolidge in 1924, because uh, as you know, conventions tend to be incredibly boring. And to talk about boring, I can't imagine, add boring plus Calvin Coolidge. And Mencken wrote, the man who could be a Coolidge fanatic could also be a fanatic for double entry bookkeeping. A whoop for Coolidge would be almost as startling as a whoop for parallel longitude. And uh, that's a guy having to cover a boring convention. But I, I, I'd, I'd read H.L. Mencken covering anything. Well, the, it's true the Coolidge Convention of 1924 was uh, comparatively boring, but Mencken seldom attended boring conventions since conventions were very unboring in those days. In the day, the pre-primary days, they usually right. were great, and they were tailor-made for somebody like H.L. Mencken. And he started he started covering them uh, in the early, the very the first decade of the 20th century, up until 1948. And the book that I've chosen, actually, it's a 40-year-old book, but of course, Mencken himself is timeless. Uh, the book is called Mencken's Last Campaign, H.L. Mencken on the 1948 election, uh, edited by Joseph Goulden. It's, it's it's, Joe Goulden put together all the um, uh, stories Mencken wrote from both the Republican – Democratic and progressive uh, Henry oh. Wallace conventions of that year. I'm fond of this book as I was, uh, uh, for my sins, I worked at the New <laughs> Republic at the time and I was involved in the <laughs> editing of the book. But it was a great year for conventions in 48 because it was the first year that conventions were televised in the United States, not gavel to gavel, as they used to say, but they were televised. The Democrats were very reluctantly nominating Harry Truman. The Republicans were gleefully nominating Thomas Dewey. Who went on to defeat Truman, according to the papers in Chicago. The Chicago Tribune, that's right. And the uh, the Bernie Sanders wing of the Republican Party got together and nominated Henry Wallace, the former Secretary yes. of Agriculture and Vice President, uh, who ran on a ticket that was, among other things, backed by the American Communist Party and other progressive organizations. So it was a, it was a political season tailor-made for H.L. Mencken. And it echoes... Today, obviously, with the, uh, the reluctant, you know, people reluctantly nominating someone, the other strands of politics coming in. Before we get to the other books, when you look back at previous years, previous races and conventions, is there a year that jumps out at you? We all believe that particularly, you know, younger people, n nothing ever happened before I showed up. It's This is the first time ever. But almost everything has already happened. But I'll be honest, re going back and doing my reading, I... I can't find a year as crazy as this. Oh, there have been years as crazy <laughs> as this, in my humble opinion. Um, I My feeling is that the pivotal year was 1968 because the Democrats had a very – well, I mean it was a, both a tragic and contentious mm -hmm. year. We had assassinations as well as a, as a challenge to the inco uh, incumbent Democratic president – uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated that year. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Not that had anything to do with the nominating process. But by the time the Democrats dragged themselves to Chicago to their convention, um, it was a year very much like this. Well, in my opinion, worse than this year. It was a year of real 
kind of quasi-anarchy in America. And it was reflected in the Democratic Convention. Uh, Hubert Humphrey, who hadn't run in any primary or won any primary votes, was, was the nominee of the party. And he very narrowly lost the election. Now, the Democrats concluded from that that the process was flawed and they, in effect, handed the nominating process over to primary voters. And that's the way it's been ever since. So that conventions really have been dull in the last four decades because the whole decision-making process sure. occurs before the convention. In my view... It, you know, it's an if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Humphrey didn't do all that badly that year. He almost won. Oh, but look at the improvement. In 72, they nominated a real winner, George sure. McGovern. George McGovern. They, they, who went they, on to win a state. Well, George McGovern actually was the author of the reforms <laughs> that they enacted after 68, and he took full advantage of them four years <laughs> later, and we've been going uphill ever since. Uh, speaking of the 60s, you've got another, actually, two books that you wanted to put together for us. Two of the books are um, Theodore H. White, the famous chronicler of uh, presidential campaigns. The two I would recommend are The Making of the President in 1960, because it's a very good – if you can get past his hero worship of John F. Kennedy, um, it's a very good description of that convention, which was a, a contested and uh, con contentious convention. Uh, John F. Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, uh, Adlai Stevenson, Stuart Symington, various others went in thinking they all had a chance of pulling it off. Um, but they didn't. And, of course, uh, Kennedy ultimately – Kennedy did. He ultimately prevailed and put Johnson on his ticket. But it was a much more rancorous convention than people remember. And, and, and White's account of it is pretty good. And his account of the 1972 Democratic convention when the – the, the the Bernie Sanders faction took over the party <laughs> and nominated George McGovern, and it was a riotously chaotic uh, convention. I was a witness to it. And, of course, George McGovern famously gave his acceptance speech at 2.30 in the morning. Um, nevertheless, it was, a, it was a far more traditional political convention in, in that it was such a – so chaotic and so contentious. Um, so those two are I, those two books I, I highly recommend for uh, for understanding the modern way we've had con uh, brokered conventions. Do you believe it's the changes in the process that have caused our conventions to become so comparatively lifeless, or mm. is it the media environment where if everybody if you're going to present something for national television, you're not going to pre present the debating, the fighting, the arm twisting, because you don't want to send that message back home. So I'm saying you could take care of your dirty laundry if no one else is around and you're in a convention hall in Philadelphia and it's just you and some print reporters. But to have people on TV watching, say, the Trump and never Trump factions going at it, nobody wants no, – no one who runs a political party wants that to happen. Well, and I think that's a terrible mistake. There's this presumption that if there's any evidence of disunity, if there's any evidence of debate, if the platform is fought over passionately, if there are speeches condemning mm -hmm. this, that, and the other person in the convention hall, this is an example of – dangerous disunity and incompetence and, you know, can these guys, uh, you know, play the game? And I think that's a terribly, uh, that's a terrible misunderstanding of the process. We've had, for example, the 1952 Republican convention was a violently contentious uh, uh, meeting between the Taft forces and the Eisenhower forces. Uh, there were riots broke out on the floor. There were huge fights over platform planks and the seating of certain delegations. Well, wouldn't you know, uh, Eisenhower won by a landslide that year. It is possible. You can have all this on television 
maybe it looks bad at the time, maybe so, but it doesn't seem to have any effect on the general election, even though that's what people seem to believe. What's our uh, final book in the collection? The final book in the collection is entitled uh, T.R. and Will, uh, The Friendship That Split the Republican Party. It's by an author named William Manners. Um, in 1912, Theodore Roosevelt decided he didn't like the fellow he'd anointed as his, his successor, William Howard Taft. And so he arrived at the Republican convention in Chicago, uh, determined to wrest the nomination from Taft. There was a huge fight. Uh, what we would now call the party establishment rallied around <laughs> Taft. And Roosevelt and his followers were so annoyed uh, after the end of the process, they marched out of the convention hall, marched across the town and had their own convention and invented their own party, the so-called Progressive Party or Bull Moose Party. And, um, of course, that split the, the contest in November three ways. But you don't get a more contentious, brokered, angry convention than the one of 19, the Republican convention of 1912. And T.R. and Will has a pretty good account of the blow-by-blow blow description. You know, it still astonishes me that Teddy Roosevelt refused to run in 1908. I know he made a pledge, but he made a pledge early on that he easily could have said, you know, now here it is years later, we see where we are. He was wildly popular. It's oh, it was it was bizarre. It was the night he was elected on his own right in 1904. Exactly. Uh, there, there was this informal precedent that because George right. Washington only served two terms, no one else had, but there wasn't, it's not in the, at least in those days, it wasn't in the Constitution. And he immediately, everyone around him, especially his family, were aghast when he said this, and he later realized it was a huge error. I've always thought he could have, in 1908, said, I, exactly. I misspoke, as yes. we would say now, and people wouldn't have really mm -hmm. cared. And the result of that decision seems to echo today, because you have Republicans who are split about their nominee. Some think it's time to just abandon the party, the never-Trump faction, et cetera. Others say, no, we need party loyalty. Otherwise, a Democrat is going to win, and not just any Democrat, but, but as happened in 1912, a Democrat who was pretty extreme for the time. Is there a cautionary tale in what happened to the Republicans in the 1912 convention for Republicans today. I don't quite share your view of Woodrow Wilson, but there's no question that, that Roosevelt's ego caused the Republicans to lose. Either Roosevelt or Taft would have won a one-on-one -on -one contest against Wilson, probably in 1912. And it was purely his egomania that, that, that uh, yielded Wilson. Now, oddly, ironically enough, uh, Woodrow Wilson was a little closer to Theodore Roosevelt's view of the role of government than Taft had been. And of course, Taft was not a tremendous reactionary. He just wasn't quite as progressive, shall we say, <laughs> as Theodore Roosevelt. So sure, it can happen. And, it, and depending on which party, it almost happened in 48 with uh, Henry Wallace, less so with, uh, of course, that 48 also, by the way, I should have mentioned originally, it was, it also had the uh, Dixiecrat party. Strom Thurmond, Strom the most Thurman. successful third party candidate yeah, based on electoral votes in history. In, exactly. Exactly correct. And, and of course, uh, given Mencken's view of the deep southern United <laughs> States, his account of the Strom Thurmond uh, convention is a lot of fun to read, too. All these books are great fun or enlightening to read. It's always fun to have you on for the podcast, Phil Turzian. We appreciate your time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham. <laughs> 